punches away from McCulloch. Thurston gets the ball to Morgan. Morgan crosses the 20. Comes away to O'Neill. Gets the ball. Melder scored. Melder scored in the corner. Welcome to Above the Horizontal, a podcast about rugby league. I'm your host, Bo Nicholson. This is a show by the fans, for the fans, where we will be talking about some wildcard awards, which is a nice way for us to discuss the news of the week. We do have a special film review for you, the film Transfusion, directed by rugby league legend Matt Nabel and, and starring Matt Nabel. Uh, and then also we have the semifinals for the Rugby League World Cup for the men's, which includes England versus Samoa and Australia versus New Zealand with some bold predictions tacked on the end of that. Make sure you subscribe if you enjoy the show. Kieran Gibson, how are you today, my friend? Yeah, I'm good. Just got back from a run. So um, usually the first half hour after a run, I feel a bit low and then I start to feel a bit perked up. So I'm it's been about half an hour, so I'm ready to go. I usually feel a bit better half an hour after the runs as well. Um, <laughs> I, I have just been, I have just been uh, moving a washing machine up a couple of flights of stairs. So I am feeling every single day of my 34 years uh, right at this moment. So let's get into the pod now. We do like to start with the wild card awards. Kieran, what do you have for us this week? Uh, so I don't actually have a name. Mine's a Miles. I guess it's a Miles wild card. Um, but yeah, m- mine is just a, a good luck message. But it goes to the. We've spoken about this before. But it goes to the uh, much maligned Anthony Seabold, who I think is more than a, a potential long term coach. I think that he'll show um, not just this season, but the next couple of seasons, because this is probably going to be quite a tricky season. Um, that he's the real deal, and he has to really. Uh, I think he's very ana- analytical and tact- tactically adept and knowledgeable about the game and uh, his. But his biggest early assignment will be finding a new six and uh, planning a, a successor for DC unless DC gets his way as he seemingly is still good enough for Australia's best 17. <laughs> it's um, that, that is, of course, on the back of... So we're recording on Wednesday the uh, 9th of November in the evening. And it just recently, I think it was yesterday, they officially announced that Anthony Seabold will be the, the head coach of the Manly Sea Eagles. And you're right, he does have a really tricky time. Now, when he first sort of like landed in the head coaching role of the South Sydney Rabbitohs after the axing of Michael Maguire. The world was at Seabold's feet. He looked like the best coach in the world, uh, so much so that they they basically fast-tracked uh, a Broncos huge multi-year contract for him, which just fell on its ass completely. I'm not sure he had the biggest chance, though, uh, and there's a lot of politics around that club, as, as we all know, especially with the old boys, and if you're not one of them, he's not like Kevin Walters. So uh, the, the old boys made their choice. They made it very hard for Anthony Seabold, and they're very influential in that club, So among other things. So he might not have had the best chance, uh, and now he's going to inherit a manly side that you know finished well outside the eight. There's a lot of cultural uh, differences in that club, uh, not not to speak of like, you know where people come from, but more what they believe and how they want to go about uh, putting together a, a football club in a cohesive way. Uh, of course, Des Hasler had some plans for the future when it came to Josh Schuster being the number six in an ideal world, uh, replacing Kieran Foran, who's moved to the Titans. That might not happen with Anthony Seabold. We, we actually don't know how that's all going to go. Does he keep... Lachlan Croker at, at dummy half, uh, you know, does 
Travoyevich return and hit great form uh, and stay at fullback. I mean, I assume he'd stay at fullback. So a lot of questions for Anthony Seabold, and I think you're right here, and he will need a little bit of luck. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just to, I, I agree wholeheartedly that it's, yeah, quite a similar situation to what he went into at the Broncos culturally. And not to single out anyone from the Broncos, but we've heard a bit about Haas and um, some of the troubles he's had up up at the Broncos and um, some of that kind of stuff was going on um, while uh, Seabold was there. And then the Fafita saga with would he stay or go and, and the money, uh, all that being tossed around. He's a, a very young coach and he's, he's really been thrown in the fire early on in his career. He sure has. Uh, my wild card is a, is a little bit different uh, and it's sort of jumping on the back of uh, current Twitter situation, really, I suppose. Uh, my wild card award is called the Elon Musk going for a jog award for running like a fuckhead. <laughs> and, it, and it goes to Joseph Suali'i, who is, of course, a fantastic talent. Like, look, look at the guy. He's, you know, he... In terms of being a top one fullback, he's probably still a, a number of years away when he gets the when he gets the ball skills and and the match awareness and things like that. But just look at that guy returning kicks or just like chiming in in the middle of the ruck, and you just see an absolute like wunderkind, right? He's 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 something really really special, but his running style is pretty fucked. Uh, <laughs> like, and, 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 you know, like it's, it's one thing to make excuses for him being, you know, tall, so it's very difficult for him. Yeah, sure, but he's not the tallest guy in the league, and they managed to make it work. It, for me, it's actually quite a dangerous running style um, for people trying to defend him, uh, and we saw that on the weekend against Tonga when Samoa upset them. Uh, so my Elon Musk jogging award for running like a fuckhead goes to <laughs> Joseph Suali'i. Uh, do you think, I imagine you saw the uh, the replays at least of, of him with the high knees and, and hurting people trying to tackle him. Do you think he's lucky that he hasn't been suspended to this point in his career? I think he's very fortunate. Um, I was going to say, like, if that was done in football, the players would act like they'd just been killed uh, or were about to die. <laughs> rolling around on the floor but regardless of sport that's yeah it's it's a very dangerous uh, running style and um he definitely needs to curb it i i can't understand what he see i i can understand that the higher your leg goes the further it the more force when you push down um but yeah he's already so fast he already builds up enough speed when he gets to the line he doesn't need to be doing stupid stuff like that and shouldn't be doing stupid stuff like that well, it's, it's outlawed for a reason. So hopefully, uh, you know, he's been cited now. Hopefully it raises some red flags, particularly at the Roosters where he plays for his club. And they can get some some technique into him to make sure that... I, I'm sure he's probably not trying to hurt people. Um, he doesn't seem like a bad dude. But, yeah, let's not run like a fuckhead, mate. Like, let's, <laughs> let's get that technique sorted out. Um we don't want to Elon Musk it about, do we? Um, and before, Kieran, before we get into the uh, the World Cup fixtures coming up, the semifinals for the men's, let's talk about last Friday night. No, this is not a Katy Perry song. Uh, if this is, I don't know why, no Katy Perry lyrics. Um, we're talking about the Brisbane International Film Festival just finished on Sunday here in Brisbane, of course, and... As you know, Kieran, as many listeners will know, I'm a huge movie buff. So I made a, a bit of an effort to get to a bunch of movies. And when I was looking through the catalog, I saw directed by Matt Nabel. And that was enough for me. <laughs> that was enough. That was enough for me, Kieran. I texted you immediately and I said, mate, are you in? 
and straight away you're like, mate, Mabel. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Mabel, Mabel, yep, let's do it. And so the movie was called Transfusion and uh, it was on at the New Market Reading Cinemas in Brisbane. At the time of booking the tickets, there were only two people in the cinema, four including us. Uh, by the time the actual film rolled around, though, which included an introduction from Matt Nabel himself, there was about 30 people in the crowd, I would have said, so not a, not a bad turnout. Mm. Uh, and it was the story of a, of a couple of SAS officers returning from you know, war times where they did some pretty heavy shit, uh, including killing people. And, uh, and trying to reintegrate into the world with this very specific skill set that they have, which includes a lot of personal tragedy in their lives. It stars Sam Worthington from Avatar and Matt Nabel himself. And Kieran, what I want to hear from you, I guess, is how did you feel being in the same room and, in fact, shaking the hand of Matt Nabel after it? Uh, lying to his face when we said that we were fans of his. And, <laughs> <laughs> and how did you feel about the movie? Uh, it was all about just meeting Matt Nabel, to be honest. Um, I wouldn't have cared what the movie was. <laughs> I just wanted to shake the great man's hand. It was actually, it was, I can recall us both saying to each other before we got into the cinema, like that we were a bit tired and we weren't sure if we'd make it the whole way through. But the movie itself was better than I thought it would be. Um, very sad. Um, he obviously, the main uh, character had, um, was struggling with PTSD and then he that was compounded by losing his wife um, and he had to choose his wife uh, over his son to, to pass because only one of them could be saved. Spoiler alert, um, if you do go watch it. <laughs> Is this your first film review ever, Kieran? <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, all in all, I'd probably give it a, a 6 out of 10. Um, I think just towards the end it got a bit silly. Uh, it was not quite believable although he did say that a lot of um the movie was reenacted or stories that he had heard or um been told about um so i i I don't know towards the end it just seemed a bit too uh unrealistic but maybe maybe that sort of stuff did happen and even if it but just the acting of it all was not too good towards the end so that's probably why i I bring it down a little bit but yeah six out of ten solid solid you're, you're much more generous than me. I think I ended up landing on about a two and a half. And I, I have to admit, like, at this, so to the positives, I, I just want to sit there and say, you know, like some of it was really good. Like some of the, some of the action scenes at the start, for example, were pretty competently made. Uh, some of the, um, the, the jobs that they do throughout the movie, uh, including some gunplay and things, was, yeah, it was pretty good stuff, to be honest. Um, and I admire Matt Nabel all jokes aside, for being able to make his first feature film as a director and a writer. Um, he has written movies before. So, you know, respect where it's given because that is that is hard. That is hard to make happen. So I do have to give respect. But on the negative side of things, um, he talked about at the start, he's just like, and you'd remember this, where he's just talking about like what he was so proud of, you know, and as a team effort, he was like, what I'm really proud of is uh, the, the tone that we struck. And obviously my Matt Nabel impersonation is fantastic. Um, <laughs> and it was, yeah, there's all that the tone. He's like, yeah, we've got a really good tone on this, you know, and when it mattered most, when it was at its most intense, that was when I found it the funniest, which is probably a sign of the which is probably a sign that they did not quite nail the tone as a team. Uh, when, when, when I should be feeling really sad or even relieved at different times, I just laughed because the acting was that bad. So, yes, uh, mm. I'm with you. Um, 
I can see the positives. Uh, I'm just a, I'm a harsher critic, I guess. So I'm probably on a two and a half out of five, you know, uh, which is pretty similar to yours, really. Yeah, but um, you know, the I just was thinking just now. Um, one of the early things in the movie that really struck me and that I was quite impressed by that he kind of touched on the obviously they were in the army and they're doing some serious shit, but they weren't really at least the the father with with his son. He wasn't really a a manly man in the sense that that's how he wanted to raise his kid. He still tried to raise the kid as a, a gentleman and um, teach him that he's still brave, despite the fact that he didn't want to do certain things that maybe other men would see as uh, a weakness in a child. So I thought that that was a, a really nice touch to the movie. Um, that's really, yeah, sort of set the tone early on, I thought. The film is called Transfusion. It is out theatrically next year, 2023, and will also be available on stand. So do keep an eye out for that. Kieran Gibson and Bo Nicholson with the scoop about transfusion. <laughs> do check it out. And congratulations, of course, to Matt Nabel. It is a it is a huge achievement to be able to make a film. So uh, especially in Australia, it is just so hard to get things made here. So congratulations to him for sure. Kieran, let's talk about the Rugby League World Cup, like we mentioned. The first game that's coming up, the first semi-final is between Australia and New Zealand. They have each won all of the games put before them. Uh, including their quarterfinals. Australia made pretty light work of Lebanon, as you would probably expect them to. New Zealand were expected to make light work of Fiji, but Fiji really took it to them, including winning up until about the last 20 minutes when Kieran Foran came on as a dummy half utility and seemed to change the direction of the of the game a bit for New Zealand. It added a bit of a cool head to the fixture. So that might be a bit of a scare that New Zealand need uh, heading into this huge match against Australia, which... To be honest, I think the winner of this game on Saturday morning, our time, about 5.45 in Queensland, there'll be about 6.45 in New South Wales, I assume. I think the winner of this game probably wins the World Cup, and I think they probably both know that. So this is this is, this is is the big one. Uh, the only squad that's been named so far, Kieran, is the Australian 19-man squad. It's annoyingly in alphabetical order, which is just always fun. Uh, but in terms of team news, Lindsay Collins misses it out with Rick and Campbell-Gillard repla- uh, replacing him after his cork has, is all better. And Ben Hunt was rested last game. He is coming in with Campbell-Graham dropping out. He was a reserve in the previous game. Uh, so I imagine what that means is that Ben Hunt will probably be on the bench or starting hooker, whichever one Harry Grant is not. And then uh, I imagine DCE would drop down to the reserves at that point what are your thoughts um from what you've seen and obviously it's very difficult for us to see all the matches um and we were relying pretty heavily on the on the highlights kieran uh in this part of the world but Mm. pre-tournament a lot of us were saying that you know new zealand's just as good as australia on paper and i probably still believe that but i feel like australia's been a lot more clinical so far don't you think I definitely do. I actually think of the four teams in the semifinals this weekend, I think England have been the most clinical um, of all four teams. Mm. Uh, they've been my surprise packet so far. But this Australia-New uh, Zealand game, I, I think, um, as you said, New Zealand looked just as strong on paper. I think that the one area that I really thought, geez, that's a huge uh, sort of weakness for New Zealand that Australia can exploit because it's one of Australia's strengths is the the speed of Australia's backline compared to that of New Zealand's. Um, obviously, mm. New Zealand have a very experienced backline. They've got the likes of Rapana, Hiku, um, Charles Nickel-Klukstad. But Australia have Holmes, Josh Adokar, and Teddy out there. So 
I think, with that speed. Um, and the fact that uh, Teddy just roams all over the field. Uh, he likes to bob up wherever on the field, and it really tests defensive structures that have to deal with an extra attacker with Teddy because he really loves wrapping around the ruck and adding an extra attacker down a short side. Um, and it means the defenders have to make uh, more individual defensive decisions more often. So, yeah, I think whilst this um, Kiwi backline is very experienced, the speed that it lacks um, and then having to make those defensive decisions, especially later on in the game when fatigue sets in, I, I think that that's a key area for Australia to uh, exploit. I, I totally agree. And I, I, again, we, we talked about this the last episode we did before the quarterfinals where it just sounds like we're a bunch of Australians just sticking up for Australia by saying that we think Australia is going to win. But I mean, they've, they, they just have been a little bit more impressive than New Zealand. Do you think that that close run game that New Zealand had with Fiji uh, is a sign that things are not going well for New Zealand and it's a bit of a problem? Or do you think it could be a bit of a wake-up call for them? Um, I think it's a wake-up call. I think it's when you're in a World Cup, if there's a blip on the radar, it's 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 more of a wake-up call rather than, uh, um, yeah, that you're just not in the right form that you need to be in for a World Cup. Um, I think that, yeah, it's the necessary, new, well, or maybe not the necessary, but it, it is a wake-up call and it should see New Zealand go to another level, especially against Australia. Um, whilst we're not ranked number one in the world, I would argue that we're number one in the world at the moment, um, although England really have impressed me. I, I, I can see New Zealand being a lot better, but I actually can't remember what my bold is, but I think it, it mentions something about the fact that there is still a bit of a gulf between Australia and New Zealand. One thing I noticed was that uh, in that in that quarterfinal, New Zealand-Fiji, I mean, with Australia-Lebanon, it, it was very clear who the better team was on the day, and it was very clear... Uh, that Australia just has more class. You know, mm. they were able to, you know, Tedesco had a minor injury. He, they just, yeah, let's rest that. Let's just bring DCE on. Let's throw up a 5 8. Let's throw Munster at fullback. And then, you know, they were slightly clunkier in the second half, as you would expect. But, you know, they still got the job done. They were quite clearly the best team. I think Fiji were the better team against New Zealand. I, like, I think pound for pound, some of those really classy moments, I thought the fullback play from uh, Taruva was just out of this world. But New Zealand won pretty much just through class. They just have a slightly classier team across the park. I don't think they're going to get away with it this time. And uh, it doesn't look good for the Kiwis in that match. Uh, so if you had to give a... A prediction to win obviously it sounds like you're leaning towards the kangaroos and it also sounds like you might be thinking by a bit of a margin well i won't spoil my bold but um yeah i think australia at least will score um i think at least i'll say five tries and i i won't go too much into it but i don't think new zealand will score too much so would that be four of those tries to uh number 13 patrick carrigan ah yes yes <laughs> definitely he'll be going for that um top try scorer trying to take it off uh, the fastest man in the world. I actually, uh, I saw a stat the other day. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but I think Josh Adokar is now the top that has scored the most tries for any Australian in the number nine jersey. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the previous most was Cameron Smith with like nine. And in this tournament, Adokar's like, like 12. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, he's like the greatest hooker of all time in terms of try scoring, at least for Australia, uh, in a sense. Just bizarre numbers. I can't get that over, that sort of stuff. I- I'm with you. I think Australia are the clear favourites. I'm not sure about it being a blowout, um, but I do think... I think New Zealand will be up for it. I think it will act as a bit of a wake-up call. 
but I just worry about Australia's class. And as you pointed out, I, I think it was a really good observation. Uh, the backline strength, mm-hmm. uh, when you consider the players they've left out, like Campbell Graham, who's been really good uh, for them out there. Uh, Matt Burton doesn't get a run. I, I, I think he's obviously a very high-class player. DCE is probably going to be uh, in the reserves, number 18, despite the fact that he arguably has been operating at a similar level to Cleary this tournament. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely on board with the Kangaroos. And I think the biggest point of difference for the Kangaroos is their dummy half rotation. New Zealand haven't named their squad yet, but are likely to, to run with Brandon Smith at dummy half and probably Kieran Foran again on the bench. If not Kieran Foran, it might be Jeremy Marshall King. Now, that's a much less inspiring dummy half rotation than Ben Hunt and Harry Grant, particularly in the form that Harry Grant's in at the moment. So I think I think Australia are, are specials here. Uh, 13 plus sounds pretty good to me, actually. Uh, of course, gamble responsibly if you choose to do that. Uh, we're, we're not a gambling podcast, but yeah, if you choose to do that, do it responsibly, of course. Mm-hmm. The other semifinal, and let's talk about your surprise packets of the tournament so far, because you did mention that. You mentioned that England were most surprising to you thus far. It's just because they completely shocked Samoa in that in that first round match and then have continued just to not take the foot off the pedal? Yes, that's literally exactly why I, I actually went through their games and I have some stats. I have um, that England have scored, they've scored at least 42 points from every single game they've played so far. Um, whilst you could argue that they haven't played the best opposition, um, they beat Samoa 60 points to six in a game that they were underdogs in as well. And they were up by 30-ish points by the time Milford got Simbind. Um, and they also scored 94 points in a 90-point win over Greece, which I was kind of expecting Australia to do that this tournament. I think the highest Australia I've got is maybe not even 70 points, which all of that sounds so ridiculous in a, in a World Cup to be scoring that much. But um, the, yeah. the point the point I was trying to make um, is just that uh, I think Australia probably haven't been quite as clinical as England, um, and that's really impressed me. Uh, England, I think that they're really growing and feeding off the fact that they're playing at home, um, and I think that that's going to mm-hmm. be a, a huge factor of Sunday night our time. Or... Yeah, I think Sunday night. Sunday morning, yeah, Sunday morning. So it'll be like uh, about 12.30 in the morning our time, just after midnight. I think that's one thirty New South Wales time. It, it could be 12.30 New South Wales time. depends on if the app's playing tricks on me or not. I, I agree with you. I think, like, I expected England to do well. Um, I expected England to beat someone in that first round and therefore be the top-ranked nation in that group, which meant that Samoa were on a collision course with Tonga in the quarterfinals. So I expected England to win, but I did not expect them to win by 54 points. And as I think I mentioned to you, I watched the first half of that because it was very late at night and I'm in my 30s. So I went to bed. (laughs) But uh, the first half was just clinical. And people were talking about like, yeah, Milford got Sinbin. And I'm like, yeah, but they were already like, 40 points in front or something stupid. Like it's, mm. it's not, it's, it's not that it was, they were just so, so good. And I think I spoke to you earlier today about the fact that, um, you know, Victor Radley has been a big thing for England. Like we, we knew he's a class player um, and he's, he snaps blokes in half. We know that, but he's one of the best in the world. We're learning at really digging into the line in that middle, being a running threat of his own, 
but having just a really, really crisp pass to be able to give his his halves some really nice service and a bit of time, um, you know, which of course Kiri and Sam Walker benefit from when they play for the Roosters. But in this case, they're giving a guy like George Williams a bit of extra space, and he's a bit of a goer. He he's a he's a run first kind of halfback, and so is Jack Wellsby at five eight. So if Radley is sucking in all those defenders getting a lot of attention in that middle and then still providing just crisp ball. Uh, they are they are an absolute juggernaut. Um, so I definitely think that they are the favourites. They're playing at Emirates Stadium in London, mm. uh, which, of course, is a home ground advantage for England <laughs> compared to Samoa. And as we saw in round one, that could be, you know, a huge factor. Uh, Samoa didn't get off the plane in the first one. They were, they were really struggling. Uh, but I remember saying in the predictions before the World Cup, it was just you and me, and I said, I think England will win this first round match, but then I expect Samoa to finish second in that pool, but I expect Samoa to go further than England in the tournament. Now, I am I'm less confident of that at this moment <laughs> because that basically means that Samoa win this game and go into the final against Australia or New Zealand. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to happen, but I'll tell you what, in terms of surprise packets for me, I was a bit surprised that Samoa managed to beat Tonga yeah. uh, in the in the quarterfinal. It was a close game, but um, they they got the job done. And I think the difference was class in the halves. Bit of Milford, bit of Luai. They looked really good. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that's actually where I was going to say I think that will be the main difference in this game or one of the main differences, um, the, the class of the halves. I think... Uh, uh, George Williams um, against Milford. Uh, I know Milford has been a world-class um, player at one point in time, but um, it didn't last too long. And George Williams seems uh, to be a, a very consistent professional. Um, and we've seen what he did at the Raiders. I think that that will be um, a huge difference. And then I, I look at the size of Samoa, especially on their bench. Uh, it's a very big bench. Um, I'm, uh, I'm just wondering if maybe they should have gone uh, maybe one other player that's a, a bit more of a, a utility. I know that they have Chanel Harris-Tavita, but uh, I think it might be that they get moved around quite a bit, especially, as you said, with Radley, the way he can ball play. Um, I think England might choose to uh, explore or, uh, I can't think of, uh, deploy a more expansive um, attacking style or, or uh, spread the ball a lot so that they attack out on the edges. They've got the speed of Herbie Farnworth out there as well. Your man, your yeah, man Herbie. Well, I mean, he's, he's awesome. Um, he's got... Got wheels on him. Um, yeah, I think England will win. Speaking of wheels, Dom Young, hasn't he grown a, a couple of wheels on him? He's uh, he's doing a Josh Adokar for England, just scoring a bunch of tries. Except at least he's wearing a, a somewhat appropriate number, uh, not number nine, but I think he's in number 14, actually, isn't he, Dom Young? I can't remember. I can't remember what his number is. Anyway, uh, yes, Dom Young scoring a bunch of tries. Herbie Farnworth is a great threat. Callum Watkins, a very experienced center now both of these teams have not named their squads yet as we mentioned earlier joseph sorely he was i think he was cited but uh not suspended for his mm. f <laughs> running style uh and junior paolo uh was facing a one-week suspension but has been cleared so he also will play and that's that's a huge plus for samoa because they uh, they rely very heavily on their front row rotation and as as you said they they do have a big side mm. Samoa, a big, big side. So obviously, tactically, they'll they'll be hoping that it becomes this war of the middle, and they're hoping that their size against England's comparatively smaller team. I mean, I don't think they've got guys like Tom Burgess in there, but yeah, Radley, 
Bateman, you know, a couple of couple of smaller forwards. Um, if Samoa can get some good ball, get on the front foot, stay on that front foot, not defend too much. If England are not on their game, drop, drop some footy, uh, and then Samoa don't need to make too many tackles. Um, and then guys like you know, like I, I give Jerome Luai a lot of shit because he seems like a bit of a cockhead, but he is a he's a classy enough player that he can do some damage if you get him some good mm. footy. Um, and we've seen that in recent weeks against against the likes of Tonga. You know, like he he and Milford, I think, were a difference. Um, just that little bit of polish, a little bit of class, and Suali'i with his run meters out of the back with guys like To'o and Taylor May. Oh, I don't think I don't think the favoritism is as big a gap as Australia versus New Zealand. Mm. I think this one will be a bit more of a contest. What do you Yeah, that's uh that's exactly how I have it as well. I think I still yeah, I definitely think England will win. Um I I probably don't really give Samoa too much of a chance if I'm honest. I just think England are, are in such good form and I, I think it will continue. I don't think um They'll kind of fall flat. Um, but, yeah, I think it'll be closer than the Australia-New Zealand game. So what are you thinking? What are, what are you thinking in terms of a margin? Like with maybe like a like a 12 to 16 or even tight? Um, yeah, I've got both teams um, scoring at least 12 points. I think it'll be probably, yeah, probably I'll say oh, 20, 20 to 14. 20 to 14. I love it. Uh, I, I probably have England a, a bit further out than mm. that. Um, just, with their, just with their point scoring ability. Uh, so I'll go. Let's let's make it like twenty eight eighteen, something like that. I think it'll be a good game though, and that's something that I found. Has there been any team that has uh, has surprised you in the opposite way? A, a team that uh, maybe didn't reach the expectations that you had for them in the World Cup so far. Um, well, I had PNG as an honourable mention for surprising me, but that kind of touches on the team that I don't think did as well, and that's Tonga. I know they only lost by two points to Samoa, but they also nearly lost to PNG. Um, PNG, I I don't know if you would exactly say that they were punching above their weight. I think if you ask the right people, you, you'll say that they just performed as they expected. Um, they've got some pretty good players, especially that uh, Reese Martin that used to play for the Bulldogs. Um, they've got a, a dummy half. I mm. can't recall his name, but... Um, Adrian Lamb said that he thinks that he could easily be an NRL hooker and uh, thinks he'll win the Man of Steel in, in the years to come. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, but to, to go back to Tonga, I thought that they would be a bit better. Um, I know that Jason Tomalolo came in late, but, um, yeah, I, I expected a bit more of them. Yeah, I mean, like when you look at the fact that uh – that game they played against PNG that they only won, they they won by like, like a try or something, mm. didn't they? It was pretty close. Um, Tamalolo was not available for that, but their forward pack was still outrageous. Like there is just no way that that's an excuse. If Tamalolo was your chief halfback or something, and then you've replaced him with Lola here, you'd sit there and go, yeah, that's probably a better excuse. But when you're replacing, you know, one of the premier locks of the game with just other big boppers that can do almost as good a job. I find that a pretty weak source excuse. One, one thing I found interesting about Tonga was the fact that they deployed uh, Koloma Tangi in dummy half a fair bit, which I think is an error. Uh, maybe, maybe he's the best equipped for the job. That's possible. 
but you're weakening one of your biggest strengths. That guy has a weapon on an edge. Like, what are you doing? You know, like, and I get it. They got David Fafita on the bench. It's doable. Like, I get it. But yeah, they were my biggest disappointment for sure. And I also want to echo what you said about PNG. I, I think I think that breathes some life into the conversation that we had with Chris Waring and Miles Stedman a couple of weeks ago. We talked about how we could possibly fix the World Cup because it's not, you know, in great shape. And one thing that uh, a couple of the boys mentioned was the fact that, well, what we should be doing is deploying a, a strategy where we have these minnow nations, these Pacific islands or France or whatever. And France are doing it a little bit in the English Super League. Um, and, you know, PNG hunters are in the Queensland Cup. These things are long-term strategies, but they will start to bear some fruit when these guys that are playing second tier footy consistently against players that are either dropping back from the NRL or about to step up into the NRL, suddenly, you know, you're, you're mixing with the right kind of people, uh, certainly uh, getting more experience of professionalism and what it takes to be a professional footballer than you would be if you're just playing against other teams in PNG, you know, Port Moresby versus Lay or whatever. So it was, I think... I think we're starting to see that. PNG are certainly in better shape now than I think they were 20 years ago. Um, same can be said for Fiji. I thought Fiji were really good, um, particularly taking New Zealand to the wire. You know, they had some really good moments. Um, so, yeah, I want to echo I want to echo what you said there and, and I guess echo what Chris and Miles were talking about last episode where that that does seem like a strategy that – you know, if, if done right and consistently and continuously, PNG could be in Samoa's place right now, mm. or England's for that matter, where they're in a semi-final, they're a genuine chance of making a final, and they're doing it on the back of you know good infrastructure, good planning. Um, yeah, like is that what you would attribute to attribute it to as well? Uh, because they PNG don't really have that many, like you know ring in superstars like miles would call them like say tonga or samoa do uh they they've got players that have always picked papua new guinea always played for them um and and indeed play for the png hunters yeah i think it's that that uh that pathway that they have um just those kids that see the chance that they can um get in the the queensland cup um i i think that the most of the squad if you look at it they're probably all quite hard working so that they all want to be there but they just need that chance um but yeah years ago probably just even five six years ago you would have said um it's australia new zealand and maybe england or uh, england have been there the last um few years uh, or there or thereabouts but um yeah now you've got quite a few teams coming up and looking like they can really challenge and it's exciting times i, I love that about uh this particular world cup i get that the early stages weren't fantastic and not many surprises but the fact that we have, you know, England getting just just rolling Samoa, Samoa recovering well enough to beat Tonga, who everyone was expecting to be in the top four, uh, and now giving themselves a chance to make the final. I, I think that's a really good story, and PNG's improvement's a really great story. I think Fiji almost rolling New Zealand in the quarterfinals a really good story. So, uh, you know, slowly, slowly, we're getting there, and it just needs that consistent effort. Kieran, let's talk about bold predictions for the upcoming week. You mentioned you teased, mm. you teased your bold prediction: Australia versus New Zealand. Is that is that where it's, uh, it's actually? It covers both games, but I've got New Zealand won't score more than ten points, and I think both England and Samoa will score at least twelve points or more. All right, so 
uh, basically a shutout for, for New Zealand almost, you know, like Australia just, just too good defensively. Uh, yeah, but I also think that the attack will um, wear on uh, New Zealand. Um, I think that they'll they'll maybe not get dispirited, but um, I think that scoreboard pressure will probably get to them a bit and they'll, um, yeah, just not place their structures in the way that they want to and eventually it'll get to them and, yeah, they'll kind of implode. My bold prediction is about an individual player. I've just got a bit of a funny feeling. I don't know... I've spoken about this before where I just feeling something in my waters <laughs> and uh, in in my waters this weekend, I've got little Georgie Williams, the halfback for the English side, assuming that he gets picked, of course, I, I assume he will be. <laughs> I've got him scoring two tries against Samoa. I just feel like his running style, uh, particularly up against Milford or Luai, I, I back him. I back him in. You know, I, I, as I said, I like that space that Radley creates. I like that Williams is a run-first footballer. Um, I think he has enough threats on the edge, like Bateman or Whitehead, to attract attention. I, I think he's. I think he's a real shot for for two tries. So I'm going to go two tries for Georgie Williams. Kieran Gibson, thank you very very much for your company this evening unfortunately no chris waring miles steadman daniel friend they're all unavailable for various trim related reasons i'm (laughs) sure but um i will be seeing you again this weekend actually because we've got to give a shout out to the big e uh he's turning 31 on sunday and i'll be i'll be catching you and him for lunch at the uh beer house is it the in south bank yeah that's the one um yeah It'll be a, a good time, and Owen will probably be telling everyone that he's catching up to them age-wise as he usually does. <laughs> yeah, he's always, he always tells me that. He's like, I'm catching up to you, bro. And I'm like, I don't think you understand how time works, Owen. But <laughs> okay, um, that's, that's fine. Uh, I look forward to that. Uh, by the way, Owen's tips were England and Australia. Uh, to win. So very much like us, I think Owen's on the right track. And he thinks that Australia will win in the final against England. But time will tell. By the way, before we go, do you have any idea what I should get him for his birthday? Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, it, well, we asked him and we didn't know. Um, I think he said like a, a rack to hang up his medals. So we were like... <laughs> <laughs> What a flex! What a flex! <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. Like maybe, or maybe a neck brace so he can carry around all those medals more comfortably. Brent Tate style. Yeah, and get more free. Yeah, <laughs> he got free. Yeah, a free bucket of balls today at the at the golf club. He didn't even need to th- uh, show off his medals. He just he just has that charm, Owen Gibson. Anyway, I find you charming as well. It must run in the family. <laughs> Kieran Gibson, <laughs> thank you very very much for your time tonight and. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in. We very much hope you enjoyed the show. If you have, please subscribe. You know, leave a comment, leave a leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. You can leave five stars. If you mm-hmm. want to drop low five, I do not appreciate that. Do not do it. Uh, no, but honestly, do be honest. Uh, we love all feedback, uh, even if you think that we're morons. But if you don't think we're morons, and if you do want to uh, listen again, do subscribe because. You'll be getting some more above the horizontal next week. Until then. Above the Horizontal is brought to you by the Pioneer Australia. Find them on Facebook or at www.pioneeraustralia.wordpress.com. 
panellists are Miles Stedman, Kieran Gibson and Daniel Friend. And it's hosted and produced by me, Bo Nicholson. <laughs>